Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We can come and have your word here with us. And Lord, we know the entrance of your word brings light. And we pray that it truly might be this morning a light to our path, a light to our um, path, Lord, a lamp to our feet, that we might walk in your ways. And Lord, that we might walk and run and not be weary, Lord, but trust in you. So as we look at your word this morning, Lord, help us to understand what it is to to finish strong and finish faithful in you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last week's been a really interesting week for me. Um, after 38 years of, of working, um, I actually finished work. So um, it's not really retirement. A lot of people say, oh, you retired. I did actually pull out. Um, but the same day that I finished, Ali started her full-time job, so we sort of did a switch. So I've had a big reality check during the week about what actually looking after a house is and, um, you know, getting things ready and clean and shopping and, you know, um, all those sorts of things, those fun things. Um, so it's, I'm at a point now where it's almost like a half, it's not quite halfway in years, but it's like a half-time um, where you sit with a coach. I know many people play football and you sit with a coach at half-time and things have happened in the first half, but you sort of forget about that and you want to move on to the, to the next half of... Um, and focus on finishing the game really well. Um, so I'm at that point in my life now, you know, what do I do? Um, all the people at work are using the term retirement, you know, oh, go put your feet up, go play golf. Um, although Angela gave me a really interesting story about, you can ask him later about a friend of his that wanted to play golf um, after he retired. Um, go fishing, a lot of my colleagues at work have decided they're going go to live in Terrigal and, and just fish for the rest of their lives. Um, but is that what life's about? just to retire, put our feet up. Um, when we read through the Bible, there's no such mention of actually us pulling out, putting our feet up and retiring in leisure. We actually enjoy life more when we're working, when we're doing things for God. That's where we get our fulfilment. And it saddens me and breaks my heart when I see even Christians, people who start off in the Christian race, people that we know from our youth, you know, leaders that we had, um, friends, Christian leaders who started really well, the first half might have been really well, but then just fall out, you know, you don't hear of them sometimes you hear of them um, that they're really successful in the world's eyes um, they've got a business, or something like that um, they've got a big family um, lots of wealth but sadly they've left the road and they've, they're no longer fellowshipping with God and it just breaks their hearts when we see that um, so the passage today that we heard in Philippians has that metaphor of a race that we need to run. And more important about how we, what we start with in that race or how fast we go in that race is how we finish. And so this morning, as we go through that, I'm going to pose five questions to you about questions that are going to make us think about how can we finish strong, how can we finish faithful in the Lord. So there are five questions taken from this passage. So let's go to um, chapter 3 of Philippians. And the first question I want to ask you is what do you value most in your life? What do you value most in your life? So if you find that difficult to answer, well, think about what you think about first thing in the morning. What gets you excited when you hear something? Uh, what news disappoints you? That'll point to what you value most in life. In verse 4 of chapter 3, I'm just going to skip a little bit ahead of what the reading was, but Paul says in verse 4, these are the things that Paul valued prior to his encounter with Jesus. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. 
of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So he had good, really good credentials. Um, he had education, he had position, he had birth privileges, and he valued that prior to his encounter with Jesus. That was what his life was about. And we too can do that. We can have things in our life, similar sort of things, education, position, um, wealth, birth privileges, that we value, that we think are very important. And these things may be admirable, but are they the most valuable thing that we, we have? Are they the thing we, we value most? And what does Paul continue to say then in verse 7? He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him. So it's pretty strong words there. So all those things he valued previously, he now considers garbage, rubbish. So even though they're admirable things, many of them, compared to Christ, their value is very low. Um, So on one hand we have Jesus, which is infinite value. On the other hand we have the things that we value in life, really in comparison, no value at all. And to the extent where Paul says they're rubbish. Um, it'd be hard to say that out in public these days without people getting offended. But that's, that's the way, when we compare things to the glory of God, that's what the comparison is like. So what does he continue to say? Sorry, I'll keep going. So what, I, what is of great value specifically? He continues in verse 9, he says, I, con- I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on a basis of faith. So this is like a short summary of the book of Romans, um, a really short summary of the book of Romans. Um, it's something that's more valuable than anything we can possess in this life. Um, so as well as knowing and gaining Christ, which is I'm going to elaborate on a bit later, Paul wants to be found not having a righteousness of his own, but a righteousness from God that comes from faith, that comes by faith. So there's a, a bit of an accounting metaphor here for the accountant. So we've got a profit. Some people may be familiar with profit and loss statements or asset liability statements. So on one side you've got the profits, the assets, the things that are of value to you, and the other side you've got the liabilities, the loss um, in that statement. What it's saying here is there's been an exchange. So what was our profit on the profit side of our statement is now on the loss side. So all those great things we did, actually they're, they're, they're a loss. But what was our liability, what was our loss, has now become to us a profit. So we've lost all that, but we've gained something great. And what we've gained there is we've gained the righteousness of God. So on one hand, God takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. Um, And so there's been a great exchange. It's called the great exchange in many books, theological books, where God gives us his righteousness and we exchange it for our sin, which Jesus took on the cross. Another term that's used is justified. So it's just as if we had not sinned. God sees us righteous in his sight and holy. So how much do we value that? Because these have eternal consequences. They're not not just temporal things of value. They're actually eternal things of value, which we'll see later in the passage. So the first question, um, what do you value? We can really struggle in the race and fail to finish strong 
because we value things ahead of knowing and gaining Jesus and his righteousness. So the second question I want to ask this morning is, what do you think the Christian life is all about? What do you think the Christian life is all about? Verse 10, um, Paul continues and says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming more like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So some might answer, well, the Christian life's about um, knowing about Jesus. But is it knowing about Jesus? The Christian life isn't knowing about Jesus. Paul doesn't say that here. He says knowing Jesus, which is different. We know him in a personal way. We know him in an intimate way. Um, So knowing about Jesus is good, but there are many, including biblical scholars, who know about a lot about Jesus. Um, many in, in our society know a lot about Jesus, but do they actually know him? What really matters in our Christian walk is that we know Jesus, we have a relationship with him. It's an ongoing relationship that we have, like someone who's with us. Um, we talk to them, we consult with them, um, they encourage us. It's a personal presence of Christ in our lives is what the Christian life is about. Well, some might say, well, the Christian life is about knowing the scriptures, knowing the Bible, you know, getting a lot of knowledge, similar to what Paul had prior to his encounter with Jesus. But the Pharisees made the same mistake. And in John 3, John chapter 5, which I'll read out to you, um, verse 39, when the, Phar- the Pharisees made this mistake of thinking the scriptures are very important, Jesus says, you, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The, the scriptures are there to testify about Jesus. Okay? And eternal life isn't found in the, by knowing the scriptures. They're found by knowing Jesus. And some Christians will say, well, Christianity is all about getting a ticket into heaven. You know, it's, it's being forgiven and getting eternal life and doing good things. But in fact, the Bible tells us that eternal life is tied in together with knowing Jesus. So if we don't know Jesus personally, we don't have eternal life. And again, that's found in John chapter 17, verse 3, where he says, Jesus says, now this is eternal life. This is eternal life, that, you may, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life isn't some pie in the sky thing that we, ticket that we get in heaven when we arrive. Um, it's actually right now knowing Jesus. When we know Jesus, we have eternal life because eternal life is tied in with knowing him. So it's about knowing him, knowing the power of his resurrection. Um, think about the greatest power in the world today. What do you think is the, biggest, the greatest power? Is it a tornado, um, an earthquake, um, a 100 megaton nuclear hydrogen bomb or whatever it is? When you compare any of those to the power that God demonstrated when Jesus was and Jesus rose from the dead, it's nothing. The greatest power demonstrated is the power that God showed when he raised Jesus from the dead. And we share in that in our Christian life. And we also share in his suffering. And if we appreciate the power that God has for us, then that, suffering, we, that can take us through the suffering. Um, and Paul says even in participation of Christ's death. So our Christian life, we're going to go through times where we, we do suffer, and that's part of our calling. And we're going to be sharing in many death experiences, many sacrifices that we have to make in our lives. Um, but God's power will take us through that. It's a tough road. The race is tough. It's not easy. Um, in fact, it's impossible, the, the race, unless we have Jesus in our lives, because everything is possible for him.
So it's knowing him, knowing his presence, knowing his power and his, his, um, his suffering as well. So we can struggle in our race if we have a wrong view of the Christian life and we go to external things, doing those things, rather than knowing Christ and his presence in an intimate way. Okay, the third question I want to ask um, is, I guess, a similar one to what Josh asked last week. Are we there yet? Have we arrived? Paul, in um, verse 12, is really humble and honest about his situation. What does he say in verse 12? Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So you'd think if anyone has got there, it'd be the Apostle Paul. But he's, like Paul, we need to look in the mirror and acknowledge that we haven't got there either. We've got a while to go. Um, it's really tempting for me now that I've finished to just think, oh, OK, I've made it, you know, I'm an elder, I've worked 38 years, I've, you know, I deserve a rest, I can put my feet up and relax. But is that what, is that what it's about? Um, we haven't made it, we haven't got there, you know, we might have done a Bible college course or read the Bible quite a few times, um, we might have been baptised in our Christian life, um, we might have had lots of things happen to us where we think, OK, well, maybe I've arrived now. In my Christian life, I can just sort of sit back. Um, but Paul says, no, not at all. We haven't arrived. Um, during the week, I posted my first Facebook, I think it was my first one, Facebook thing about John Piper. I, uh, there was a video that came out from John Piper during the week from uh, Desiring God. But he made this statement. It's a really good little video, actually. But he says, there are no sunset years in the Christian life. Until the day you die... You have a race to run and a ministry to finish. So I thought, for me, that was very appropriate. There's no sunset years in, in the Christian life. We've all got a race to, to, to run. We've all got a ministry to finish. So, and just like the rabbit and the hare, or the rabbit and the turtle, um, it's not a sprint. The Christian life is, a, is more of a marathon. So it's not like, a, you know, we go really quickly and run fast and get to our destination. It's It's a progressive walk with Jesus one day at a time um, it's a marathon not a not a, a frantic um, wilting away like we make new year resolutions and we you know how long do they last um, we grow steadily we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus so and how do we grow how do we grow in our Christian life you know we've got somewhere to aim to which is Romans says we're all being predestined to become more into the image of Jesus, but we get there, and as the process is called sanctification, how do we grow in our Christian faith? Well, um, some of the people in high school might know formulas. Do you know formulas in high school? Probably do a lot in physics. Um, but there's a little formula there which I think I used in a sermon a couple of years ago, which is growth equals truth plus obedience. So we... We have the truth in God's word and we obey that and that's how we grow in our Christian, Christian life. That's sanctification. Um, Paul says a thing to Timothy about that. He says, well, you know, watch your life and your doctrine closely. We always see that God's word, the truth, is always a, is applied and that's how we grow in our Christian faith. Growth equals truth plus obedience. Okay, so we can struggle in our Christian race because we think that we've arrived at a place that is comfortable 
and we don't want to grow further in Christ. Um, are we there yet? No, we're not. The fourth question I want to consider this morning is, um, if we are to finish strong and faithful, is what objectives and goals govern, my, govern your life, your Christian life? What objectives and goals govern your life? We see Paul mentions that in verse 13, the second part of verse 13. He says, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So firstly, we see here the goal is singular. Okay? He's single-minded here. There's, one, there's only one goal there. Um, many people have a bucket list of goals that they want to achieve once they retire, and um, a lot of people shared that with me after I finished work. For some reason, people think I'm going to go off and start a, a winery, which is a bit of a worry, actually. For some of the, maybe some of the conversations over the kitchen table of what you do on a weekend, and you know, people talk about vineyards they visited and all that. So not all people, but some of them remember me because of my discussions about wine, and, but others do remember me because of my discussions about Jesus, which is great. But, um, but they think, well, that's, that's your goal in life. You have a bucket list, you tick it off. So I want to travel, I want to you know, visit all these places in the world, I want to be financially independent, um, I want to have investments so I can go and do what I want. Um, a whole host of goals and objectives. But Paul says one thing. He's only got one goal. I mean, sure, there might be other things that he's doing, but there's only one thing he's focusing on. Um, so it's a singular goal. And what is that goal? He continues, he says, forgetting what is behind and straining uh, toward what is ahead. So he forgets what's behind him. Now, it's not forgetting the things of God's grace that he's talking about here. Um, he's forgetting the, the past disappointments. Like in our life, we think back, maybe I should have done this, maybe I should have made that decision. Paul's saying, well, forget that. Okay, we're at half time now. This first half's gone. Um, sure, we might have messed up in the first half. Sure, we might have had disappointments, broken relationships. Um, but we're, we're at a point now where we can say, okay, what's ahead? Let's look ahead. Let's not look back. And it might not be disappointments. It might also be achievements that we've had. Because Paul lists a whole lot of achievements um, that give us a big head that we want to look back to and think, yeah, aren't I good? He says, no, I don't look back. I, don't, I forget what's behind and I look ahead. We're up to Commonwealth Games, I think, in a few months' time, up at the Gold Coast, and going back to 1954, which some people here might remember, um, I wasn't around, but there was a great race. Australia, um, two people in the world just broke the four-minute mile. There was the um, English guy called Roger Bannister and the Australian guy called um, John Landy. So they're meeting together for the first time, and they called it the race of the century, I think the Miracle Mile or something. Um, meeting the first time at the Commonwealth Games in Vancouver. So Bannister wrote a book about it, that you know he had a tactic for the race. Um, but when the race kicked off, John Landy actually took off really quickly, so the Australian was um, heading off really quickly, and he actually came around the final bend in the lead. But there's a famous um, scene, and it's depicted in a statue, actually, where he looks, as he's almost about 90 metres from the finish line, he looks to his left and um, to see where Bannister was, and Bannister actually passed him on the right. So a lot of the experts say, well, just that little glance, to the, you know, looking behind, <clears throat> and losing focus of the finish line was cost him the race, so Bannister came through and just overtook him, and both men actually ended up breaking the four-minute mile in that race too, so it was a world record for two people. 
Um, but he lost sight of the finish line and he just looked slowly to the left and, um, and lost the race. And I think that sort of picks here what Paul's saying in a way, forget what's behind. Don't look back. Look to the, look what's ahead and focus on that. And a lot, you see that in athletes as well. Once they hit the final straight and they see the finish line, you just see them get an extra bit of wind and they all just go for it. And so that's the same with us. We can focus on where we're heading rather than focus on what's happening um, in the past. Okay, so we, look, we don't look back, we look ahead. What is the prize? It mentions there in verse 14. What is that prize? It's not really elaborated too much in, in this passage. Um, in other parts of the Bible, it's a lot more... There's a lot more detail about what the prize is, like in 2 Timothy 4.8, it calls it the crown of righteousness. Um, in 1 Peter 5.4, it talks about the unfading crown of glory. In 1 Thessalonians 4.17, um, it talks about the unending presence of Jesus that we look forward to. Um, we've got a majestic prize, something really to look forward to. I thought it was last year, but actually the year before, Ali and I went to New Zealand and... Um, it's a beautiful place, New Zealand, but in the South Island, Mount Cook, um, there's a little bit of a hike you can go on, and we went, it probably took us a half a day to get to Mount Cook from where we started, and when you get there, it's just magnificent, like, it's just beautiful with the snow capped, and it was a beautiful day, um, and I could just sit there for hours, I could sit there for probably three or four hours quite easily and just admire the beauty of the, and the magnificence of this mountain. Now, if that mountain, you know, in its context, through my appreciation and my awe, you can imagine the creator of that mountain. Um, so Mount Cook's just one little spot in a beautiful country, in a beautiful, you know, creation that God has created for us. How much more are we going to be able to sit in the presence of God and appreciate God in his beauty? Um, it's just mind-boggling, really. If just that one little mountain can you know, take days to appreciate, how much more are we going to take to appreciate God? So the prize is God himself. David says a similar sort of thing in um, Psalm 27.4. He says, one thing, so similar to Paul, he says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, one thing. He just wants to sit there and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And really, that's going to be, it's going to take more than eternity for us to appreciate how great our God and Saviour is. Um, it's going to be magnificent. So let's focus on that. Focus on the, the prize, which is Jesus himself, God himself. Um, he himself is the prize. And we can struggle in our race if we lose sight of that. We can struggle in our Christian walk if we lose sight of the grandeur of God and, and spending eternity with him and what the prize is. Okay, so the fifth and last question I want to consider today. So we've looked at what is our values, what's our highest value. We've looked at what the Christian life's about. Um, have we arrived? We've looked at what our goals in life are. The last question is, if we are to finish strong, who are you relying on to hold you and press on? Who are you relying on to help you in your run, in your Christian life? And this is covered in verse 12, the second part of verse 12. Paul says, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal 
to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So in this race to the finish, we see here that God calls us and God holds us. So the call from God um, is a heavenward call. So it comes from heaven, but it also is a call to heaven. So the call from God to us comes from heaven, but it also is a call for us toward heaven, for us to move on to toward heaven in our race. So when it's talking about um, God calling us from heaven, we know in Romans, where um, Romans not eight, chapter eight, verse twenty-nine, but we have an idea about what it means for us to be in the Christian race, because it says, "For those who God foreknew, He also predestined." So for those he predestined to become formed into the image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So God's call, it's not like an invitation where God calls us, come on over here. It's actually an effective call. So it's similar to the call that Jesus gave to Lazarus when Lazarus was dead in the tomb. What did Jesus say? He said, Lazarus, come forth. So that is a, the power of God's call. It's an effective call. It's not just an invitation that we can reject or you know, take. God actually calls us to life. Um, so it is a call from heaven. And Romans 11.29 tells us that God's gift and his call are irrevocable, which means they can't be changed. God's gift and his call won't change. Um, he's the, and the prize that's mentioned in Philippians 3 is actually associated with God's call. So if God's call is sure and certain, then the prize that we have is sure and certain. God calls us heavenward to that prize. Um, now, I can't understand how God's sovereignty works. Um, if you do, then please explain it to me. But one thing I do know that I can rest in that. I can rest in the fact that God will accomplish what he says he will. Just like in Philippians 1.6 where it says, I can be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. God is going to complete it. So are we relying on our strength? Sure, we might have to endure each day and trust God and focus on him and not look back and look ahead, but it's God's strength in us. In fact, God says he holds us. Paul actually talks about this little paradox where he says, I take hold of that to which God has taken hold of me. So we, in our earthly race, we think, okay, we're taking hold of what God has for us, so we you know, we learn about God and we, we encourage each other, we take hold of things, but it's actually God who takes hold of us. Um, and as we sang, you know, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from his hand till he returns and calls us home. This is the power of God in me. God holds us, God strengthens us, we can be confident that it's his strength that does that. So God, God calls us from heaven, he calls us to heaven, and it's him that holds us. He, he, in a sense, preserves us. It's our perseverance, but it's God's preservation that really matters, and that gives us the confidence. We don't rely on ourselves, we rely on him, and we can be confident in that. And, you know, we can just go home today and, you know, we're back to work or back to school or whatever on Monday morning, and we're, you know, things get back to normal in the grind of life, whatever we do on a Monday. Um, and it's really earthly, isn't it? Like we worry about the things that what we have to do to eat, earn money. Um, and we think a lot of times it's our strength. 
You know, we've got to just persevere. Let's just bite, bite our lips. God calls us, and we can be confident in that. Um, in this earthly scene that I just described, there's something happening behind the scenes. Okay, so we're just here in this earth. Things appear to be physical, but behind the scenes in heaven, there's something completely different going on. And as Josh preached last week, we need to connect to that. In, we connect to that in prayer. So when we pray, we actually get an appreciation of what's happening in the heavenly realm. We pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, we, we approach the throne room of God when we come to pray. So amongst all that happens during the week, and a lot of things are in our minds even now as we're finishing Sunday morning, heading into the week, you know. Um, let's remember there is a heavenly realm there, that God is calling us to heaven, and that's where we're heading. And there's things happening right now in, he- in the heavenly realms um, that affect what happens here on earth. And God is in control. It's God's power and strength that sustains us. And we have the marvellous privilege, as we heard last week, of praying to God and connecting to that, what happens in the heavenly realms and bringing that to earth through our prayers. God's given us a marvellous privilege. So just remember that we can struggle in our Christian race if we rely on our own strength and the things that we do here on earth rather than look to God and his strength and his call and his holding us. Okay, so in conclusion this morning, sorry for going over time, I want to just give you the story of two Saul's. We have Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament. Started really well, passionate for God, you know, was went out there, did things for God, and then suddenly became arrogant, self-righteous, and started doing things, sorry, he became arrogant, started taking matters into his whole, old own hands, and then he fell away. Um, so good start, bad finish. Then we have the Apostle Saul, who became Paul, sorry, Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, who had a pretty bad start, actually, if you read some of those things that he did, including persecuting the church, um, being very self-righteous, thinking that he was right before God because of his own righteousness. Bad start, but then look how he's finished. And in Timothy, he says, I've run the race. So he actually finished the race, faithful to God. So we have good start, bad finish, bad start, good finish. Um, and there's a third, third type of finish as well, where we have one person who started really well and finished really well. When Jesus was on the cross... What was his final words on earth when he was on the cross? It is finished. He lived a perfect life. He started really well. He was obedient to the Father. Took to the cross for us to win the prize of our salvation. And he cried out, It is finished. So, the last question I want to ask today is where, where are you in this race? Do we have our, you know, are we struggling? Do we go on the side of the grass and just put our feet up for a while, have a rest? Are we really struggling in our own strength? Are we looking to God? Are we being distracted by the things of this world and looking back behind us to the, you know, all the disappointments of the past, or are we looking ahead? So, what are the, the things you value in life? What do you think the Christian life is about? Have you arrived? What are the goals in your life, and are, are you relying on Him to hold you and to 
and to press on for him because he is the one that is calling you and holding you. He might not be in the race at all. And if you're not in the race, um, I encourage you today to get into the race because if you're not in the race, you're on the broad road that leads to destruction. You actually are on a pathway, but it's not the pathway that leads, the narrow path that goes through the cross, through the forgiveness of Jesus um, to eternal life. So ask him to forgive your sins and to cleanse you and take on his righteousness rather than righteousness of your own. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us everything we need in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you are, that you've called us, Lord. You, you knew us before the foundation of this world. You predestined us and you call us. You justify us. You give us your righteousness. You cleanse us. Lord, you sanctify us. We're on this road, but we know you are with us. And we grow in you, Lord, as we apply your word. And Lord, one day you will glorify us. And we praise you for that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the one that paved the way for us, that you indeed did say it is finished, that, Lord, you took on our sin, you went to the grave, you rose from the grave, and we just praise you, Lord, that you did rise from the dead, and, Lord, now we, we too can be glorified in you because, Lord, we are part of you, we are in you, in Christ. So we pray as we head off this week that we will, Lord, not just be involved in this earthly realm, Lord, but we will focus on the heavenly realm of Jesus and the power he provides for us and the love he gives us. We ask in Jesus' name.